0: CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
1: Welcome back in. You were listening to the June 8th, 2018 episode of the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. We are dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Jeremy Hart, at Fantasy Gumshoe, and joining me today on the second show of the new season of the Fantasy Football Mailbag is a fantasy analyst and a lead dynasty writer over at PFF Pro Football Focus and a co-founder of the Dynasty Command Center and the newly acclaimed Best Ball Command Center. Welcome to the show, Curtis Patrick. You can find him on the tweets at CPatrickNFL. It is great to have you back on the Mailbag Show. Curtis, man, what's that's good.
2: Hey, Jeremy, plenty's good, man. There's lots of football news going on. Uh, I've got a full Netflix queue, and my wife hasn't left me, so I got no complaints, brother.
1: <laughs> Netflix and chill, right? I think that's what the kids say these days, right?
2: Hey, it still applies. You know, when you're married, it's just you know maybe the, the shine's more off a little bit, but you can still Netflix and chill with your with your wife.
1: That's right. Well, we're going to be looking forward to some Netflix and chill time coming up this weekend here ourselves. But before we do that, we're going to answer all the off-season questions for the week regarding Dynasty trades, player and team outlooks, off-season prep, you name it. But before we dive right in, see, Pat, as I alluded to, since we last talked, which was, I think, February of this year, rounding out last season here, uh, we kind of helped kick off the Dynasty Command Center there. You told us all about it. Well, you've been moving, you've been shaking, and you lift. It off the Best Ball Command Center in addition to some other tools and resources now available over at the Command Center. So tell us all about it. What are some of the additions and what should RV Nation uh, look forward to when they sign up?
2: Hey, great stuff, man. So uh, Dynasty Command Center, it's really been slammed all off season. I mean, me and Ryan McDowell and the rest of the crew have been helping owners, rookie rookie drafts, their startups, rebuilding some orphans. We also launched um, kind of a sub-brand called DCC Analytics. And this actually gives subscribers like some monthly performance metrics on their dynasty team. So, like if you make a trade or a waiver claim, those types of things, there's actually a roster value that's assigned to your team, and you can actually see the the value of your team, you know, rise or fall based off of the quality of your moves. We kind of compare that to to ADP, which is a pretty good you know measurement of how the community is valuing players. The best ball command center has been really fun too. So we brought in the uh, the wizard, Mike Beers. And he's been building tools like ADP trackers, exposure trackers, providing you know on the clock guidance for people who are literally in the middle of their best ball draft. You know, what should I do with this team composition? Do I need a third tight end or a fifth running back here? I mean, Mike's jumping in there and, and helping right out. And and that's actually still at its debut price of twenty nine ninety nine. I think it's a pretty good pretty good steal there. Yeah,
1: just an absolute steal, especially when you consider the amount of volume you can get off. Uh, you know when you're when you're doing the best ball drafts, regardless of the platform and the site you're, that you're using. I mean, uh, especially with the portfolios you see out there these days that people are tracking. So I mean, having that expertise at your fingertips, readily available, uh, whether it's in Slack or via the tools and resources, sounds sounds really cool. Especially when you're trying to track, you know, what what's the ADP of Allen Robinson? This is some guy Curtis that we were talking about last season. At the end of last season, hoping he landed in San Francisco. Now he did not land in San. Francisco. However, he did land in the shy over here. Um, I would, you know, I'm pretty happy about the landing spot over in Chicago. Um, you know, it's really going to help him pull down some balls for Mitch Trugoski, as I like to say. But uh, we also talked about Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. That did actually transpire as well. So what are you doing with A-Rob and Dino? And are there any discernible ways to correctly choose between, you know, the Adam Thielen's and Stefan Diggs of the world?
2: Man, that's a packed that's a packed question, but <laughs> I think you know all three of those guys are really in the same you know they're really in the same you know if we're talking dynasty the same tier. I've got them all kind of between the wide receiver eleven and wide receiver twenty range. Um, when you look at where these guys are actually going, you know Diggs is right at the end of the second round right now. He's got an ADP of twenty four. Robinson's right behind him at twenty six, and then Thielens around later. It's kind of discounted versus those guys. You have know, got the age factor and kind of the lack of the draft pedigree. So he's in at 35. You know, with Stephon Diggs, you know, we're still kind of buying the idea of his ceiling, right? I mean, he still hasn't finished, actually, as a wide receiver one, if you look at season-long finish. In the last two years, he's been top 14 in points per game. But he just doesn't put up enough games to to kind of give us the end of the, end of the season rank that we're really looking for. So it's not that he's had, you know, the major injuries, but he's one of these guys that gets dinged a little bit. And you're going to miss. He's also, you know, I think he evened this out a little bit last year. But, he's, you know, the previous year, (laughs) I think a lot of his points were on these, like, two 200-yard games he had or something. So, you know, he's a guy that you'd like to see level it out. He's got a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. He's a lot younger than Thielen. You know, speaking of Thielen, he just got, like, almost 150 targets last year. You know, I, I man, it's hard to see him getting that again. You know, with Dalvin Cook coming back, is the team going to be able to run the ball better? Is it going to be less overall passing volume? Or is Cousins going to involve the tight end more like he did in, in Washington? So, you know, I think these guys are going to kind of siphon in volume from each other, but they can still both be wide receiver twos. So for those reasons, I like a Rob, man. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think that he has anyone that's a significant threat to passing volume. I mean, who's going to take the targets from him? Uh, we like Trey Burton. You know, we like Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen's fun, but none of these guys are like serious threats you know, to A-Rob when it comes to who we're going to drive this offense through. So of that trio, I prefer A-Rob. I've got him ranked you know, the most high out of that group. Um, I guess Thielen's probably the best discount right now because you can get him around later, but give me A-Rob there.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely with uh, A-Rob. I'm definitely with – I mean, yeah, it, it's really like a, an either-or. and Yeah, I mean, you can kind of pick apart – any which way you want to go. That situation in Minnesota is really just kind of good across the board. You just want to spread out your exposure, make sure you have shares across the board. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I would say, you know, definitely some somebody that I want to pull down. It, it's a little bit richer than I want to spend at quarterback right now because, I mean, you get guys so cheap here. But, I mean, as you kind of mentioned with Thielen, it's all about the value. So I'll just take the value guy who's going lower. and I mean, we're all about value, and that's why you got to know about the 30% discount that we're offering at RotoViz through the NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage. It's rotaviz.com slash podcast and your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and it also supports this very pod. You can also support the pod by subscribing to and rating to uh, the Rotovis radio channel on iTunes. Do that. You'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league hosted by our friends over at the FFPC. Just go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it and then listen to future episodes here if you are the winner. And if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Road of His writers and podcasters, just email us, wordofisradio at gmail.com. We'll go ahead and get that set up for you. And if you are a fan of this show specifically and want to sub directly to the fantasy football mailbag feed, please do so. It takes hard work getting the show out every week. Do us a solid hit that rate button. And of course, last but not least, if you have any questions you'd like answered on this mailbag show, hit us up via email, wordofisradio at gmail.com or on Twitter using the hashtag RV mailbag. All right, my man Pat. let's get down to some of these QQs for the week. First one is both, uh, I guess, short-term and long-term here. I still have a few rookie drafts left, of which a couple are IDP. Uh, There's a steep drop-off. Once you get past the Naheem Hines and uh, Dante Pettis' range, do you still go on and maybe take one of the QBs that might be left on the board there, or do you uh, maybe move on to Jamon uh, Moore and Jordan Wilkins range, or do you start plucking away at a couple of the IDP options there? So, another question with a lot going on here, but uh, I've also noticed the same thing, right, Curtis? Once you get past that, or you're right at that Naheem Hines range, it really kind of thins out and you're kind of forced to go a couple different directions.
2: Yeah, we're talking basically mid to late second round uh, with these guys, and I, I think it just depends on how you're drawing the lines. I mean, the scoring. I think in those leagues you mentioned in the IDP options, how heavy is the IDP? How much of your starting roster each week is IDP? For me, I'm still going to move on to that kind of second tier of the tight ends with um, Goddard, Hurst, and Andrews, and I still like all to, all four of the top fantasy QBs: Mayfield, Rosen, Jackson, and Darnold. There before getting any of the IDP guys. Um, I mean, you know, if you had a, a significant need and you just wanted to pull the trigger on Tremaine Edmonds and you know, like I said, if the IDP you know, factor is really important to your scoring, then, then maybe you reach there. Um, but I still like some of these guys to be major producers at tight end and quarterback.
1: Very good. Alright, next one is also Dynasty. I'm a Julio Jones owner and admittedly a little nervous about him long term with his injuries and his uh, offseason comments. Would this motivate you to take Calvin Ridley above a Royce, a Royce Freeman or Kerryon Johnson on a rookie draft as a standalone value with insulation upside? So you know, th- this is kind of interesting, right? I mean, Julio's Julio, right? But um, you'd be lying if he didn't kind of introduce a little bit that might make you a little nervous about him long long-term here. And I mean, I'm not a Calvin Ridley fan in a vacuum, right? But I mean, you also would be remiss not to mention that if Julio should go down, which he has been known to do, right? Um, You know, Calvin Ridley, despite whatever you think about the talent, he would automatically be thrust into an opportunistic role.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I guess. I'm with you. It's hard for me to really get excited about Ridley. I mean, we like his draft pedigree here, but I just didn't really think that he profiled like a, a, a true wide receiver one in the league. So, you know, if if Julio were to go down and and you maybe are viewing Ridley as your handcuff here, I don't think that he's going to all of a sudden become like the alpha and get a Julio style target share. So, and that's not this isn't really a attack that I like to use in rookie drafts anyway. I mean, I guess handcuffing my own guys, I would really just assess your roster if that's truly your biggest need, you know, that you need to have a backup or a succession for Julio. You know, do you actually like Ridley the best out of the other guys at the wide receiver position in that range? You know, like Michael Gallup or James Washington, Cortland Cortland Sutton, Anthony Miller, they're all kind of there at the the turn of the first and second round. Don't take Ridley just because he's a Falcon. Take the guy that you like the most. But that being said, I like both of those backs better than, than Ridley, and I will still take those guys there.
1: Yeah, with you here 100%. It's not like you can view the wide receiver like a one-for-one you know, relationship like you can potentially do with a running back, where now all of a sudden the backup's going to be thrust into to 20 overall touches or something like that. I mean, you're going to see the, the wide receiver targets get distributed. Granted, you know, that's the type of environment or, or example where, sure, now you're going to play Calvin Ridley at 35 can DraftKings or something like that. Absolutely. But, yeah, in the dynasty, I mean, Calvin Ridley is, is really, you know, is he going sh- to— is he going to stack up better than the rest of the wide receivers on your team? Probably not. So I'd still, at that round range, uh, I'm all about the running backs there as well. Uh, Curtis, what are the best and worst purchases you've ever made?
2: Wow. Man, that, I could probably go down a list of things in both categories. <laughs> let me uh, let me think about the worst. I had a pretty bad purchase mistake when I was 18. So um, I tried to buy a PlayStation 2 on eBay, and, it, I mean, it was definitely a scam, like, I, I put in the high bid and then the seller like directly contacted me and is like, Hey, I'll give this to you cheaper if you'll just send me the money via, you know, Western Union transfer. Um, which I mean, that's like <laughs> even back when we we're talking about it, was obvious that you shouldn't do it. But I'm like, but what if, you know, what if this is really the real <laughs> thing and they don't scam me? But, you know, needless to say, I was out like, I don't know, 150 bucks or something like that trying to, trying to get a cheap game system. Never, never got it. You know, nothing the cops could do because this this is somebody that had, like, you know, a bunch of different accounts. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, petty cash. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's money that I just flushed down the drain. Uh, Best purchase. Maybe not my best purchase, but probably my favorite purchase ever was my first pair of Selvitz jeans. So, I'm kind of like a denim junkie. And, uh, like, this was, like, the first time that I was like, all right, jeans can be, like, you know, second skin, like, You know, they can, they can form through your body and like jeans are part of your personality and you know, you just never want to take them off. So, um, they actually recently died and I I was super depressed, but luckily when I bought them, I bought two pairs. So I just started breaking in the next one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you on the PS two purchase too. I mean it it's one of those purchases that you do, but I mean you learned a pretty valuable lesson early on in your life for at the time was a lot of money in retrospect for the for the demographic, right? But I mean you learned on very early for an up and coming internet age where I mean you can get scammed much harder than that. And uh you know, on on the gene side, Curtis, like I'm I, I used to be with you, right? Like, I don't know if it's because I've just had too many damn kids at this time, but like now, even though like the jeans can be comfortable, like I just want my sport shorts, right? Like, what does that say about me? Like, that's just hashtag dad life. It's pretty sad.
2: Hey, that's all right, man. Just make sure you got the shoes to, you know, the shoes to match to get up.
1: so <laughs> no, it's there's, all there's about... no judgment
2: here, though, man. I mean, if that's if that's how you feel like yourself, then then you just do your thing, but. I, uh, I still, I'm still pretending, you know, that I got it. So, <laughs> for right now, I'm still putting the jeans on. Curtis has still
1: got it. The only thing I still got are my uh, my 1980s-style uh, black-striped Adidas. That's about the only thing. I just I refuse to move on from my Adidas. It will never happen. But uh, we've, we've been refusing to move on from Adidas on this side. Uh, Dallas had to move on from Des Bryant here. Nobody wants him, but the next question is about best ball. Better value between uh, the the newly catapulted Alan Hearns or David Joku.
2: I, you know, I I think Hearn's early on was somebody that w- was an interesting buy. I mean, because he's remained cheap, but you know, the the team added Michael Gallup, and then there's been all of this talk from straight from Dak Prescott that you know we don't really need a wide receiver one. Like we're just going to spread the ball around. You know, the league doesn't require that you have a true wide receiver one. So that's not exactly like a ringing and you know ringing endorsement <laughs> of how they see Hearn's role you know, playing out there. And when we're thinking about best ball as well, I mean, tight end is one of those positions where it you actually can get some positional advantage in a, You know, if you catch lightning in a bottle. And, and Njoku is a really interesting guy as your tight end, too, in best ball. You know, he could hit. He could absolutely hit. You know, what if he's the main red zone option? We saw kind of what he could do, you know, yards after the catch, you know, even as a rookie, and certainly saw a lot of that in college. So I love Chief Njoku, and, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I have some exposure to. In best ball, and best certainly and in dynasty and and really rooting for the guy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna vote that way.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there on the NJ side. Uh next one, redraft Marlon Mack at his ADP or Naheem Hines at his.
2: Definitely Hines. Easily Hines for me. So he's he's being drafted about sixty spots later than Mack right now. And when you listen to Frank Reich talk about Hines even early this offseason, I mean he's he's describing the role that he has in mind for him is, you know, kind of what he's done with Darren Sproles in the past. And I will absolutely take that kind of receiving game upside from the current, uh, I think his positional AP is like running back 51. Um, heavily, heavily discounted, well into the triple digits. So I like Hines there, even in redraft.
1: Yep, I'll take the discount there as well. It, it doesn't mean I dislike Marlon Mack. I just feel like you, you're drafting Mack at, you know, a price where you think his ceiling is more probabilistically going to going to land. So I mean I'd I just you know, I'd rather insulate myself and, and take the guy that I think has at least a decent enough uh, portion of the passing game work. Uh, you know, I don't know if I completely buy into the coach speak at this point just because we haven't necessarily seen it. We have seen the situation play out, granted. So so I'll go ahead and take the discount there as well. Uh, Curtis, if you could uh, become one inanimate object for a year, what object would you choose
2: to be? Whew. Wow, man. You can get kind of wild with this one. <laughs> um, I'm going to take the high road that I think, though, because you just, I mean, depending on what you choose, like you don't know, you, you run the risk of, you know, landing in some undesirable hands here. So, uh, let's see. How about, how about, you know, how about a lifeguard tower at a, at a fancy resort? You know, I, I'd be on the beach all the time. There's great weather. You got a good view. You know, maybe somebody attractive sits on you. I, I'm going to go with the lifeguard tower.
1: Nicely, you know, that was pretty, that was the high road, but but then somebody nice sitting on you, like, that's just where we we were inherently, like, born to be, right, but at the light tower, (laughs) like, we just, it was unavoidable, it had to happen, like, as as soon as you think, admit it, inanimate object, like, your head goes in the gutter, it does, doesn't it, there's no way around it, I'm like, this is like a loaded question, is it not?
2: I'm, I'm just sitting around waiting for Wendy Peppercorn to show up, let's just be honest.
1: Oh man! Oh gosh! I just hear we're, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We we no we can't we can't do this. I I for the first time I don't know. Did did we have this conversation station? And I my kids had seen Wendy yet? I can't remember. But even my my six year old son at the time it was just before his birthday. I think he yeah he said she was pretty pretty cute and uh yeah <laughs> yeah. Oh man! I, it was like Go, I felt, Wendy. Yeah, it's like I felt good for him, but at the same time, I was like, I have three daughters at the same time, and I'm just not feeling good about that. (laughs) Like, I'm just a ball of emotions right now so uh, you know I'm just a ball of emotions but Mike Williams owners have been a ball of emotions and now Hunter Henry went down the next question is a Mike Williams owner should he be selling him based on the probability that he takes on more of the inside work with Hunter Henry out or should he be waiting for the production and selling or waiting on the production and uh, this being a coincidence he needs to get up and running to turn into a long term asset so this person is definitely confused so basically he was out on mike williams curtis and and now yeah he's just confused so i mean what what does hunry henry going Hunt hunry henry hunter henry going down do for mike williams
2: here oh man i I think it's it's really huge for mike williams mike williams is a guy that i really liked last year i mean he he was you know there's just tons to like about him and the injuries unfortunately you know really kind of held him back as a rookie from from learning the offense early on and then even when he was able to play I just don't think that he had a chance to develop any rapport with Rivers and Keenan Allen was just you know scorching the earth and it just didn't play out well for him and so then you get into all the Hunter Henry hype and Antonio Gates is finally gone and now Henry's gonna break out so you know what's Williams like high range of outcomes this year we were almost looking at like maybe option number four right behind Keenan Allen and behind Hunter Henry, and then maybe even behind Melvin Gordon. Um, so this this is honestly a blessing in disguise for for Williams. I think it opens up, you know, some red zone usage for him. It, it opens up some chain-moving usage for him. We saw Keenan Allen, I guess, add a downfield element to his game that we hadn't seen a ton of before last year. So I, I like it for Williams. He kind of becomes the secondary option in the passing offense. And, you know, this is not the time to sell Williams. He's fallen a lot in in the you know last 12 months. He was still going as a late third round startup pick in Dynasty startups last June, and uh, you know now he's into the 80s. He's a seventh round pick. So this is definitely a hold situation. I think that you know for for the you know the listener that asked this question, I'm going to let some buzz build over the summer. Let's let's see how he how he looks and. camp and see how he does maybe even in in the you know the third preseason game when he gets a lot of run with rivers if he's balling out if you still don't feel great about him you know personally that's your gut feeling then you sell him then when we've seen something and when he's had a chance to climb but I'm just gonna hold him I mean I I liked Williams last year and now I just think he's gonna get, get the chance that that I wanted him to have last year
1: yeah, you, you can't sell right now just based on, on the hype. I mean nothing's gonna sell better than production and he's gonna get the opportunity now to produce. So I mean you're holding now. I think long term, I I don't know if I'm I'm bought in right because Hunter Henry still will eventually come back. So I think I will you know, I'll hold him and potentially sell him. Uh if it's a redraft scenario, I think I'd rather just take Tyler uh Tyrell Williams on in in that route. Um, Next one here, Rudolph, Rudolph, redraft. John Gruden has said all the right things about Marshawn Lynch, but he's also said them about Doug Martin and every other player in a Raiders jersey for the most part. I'm drafting out of the 11 spot this year and I'm planning on going wide receiver, wide receiver, with a few running backs coming from rounds three through seven. Do I just bypass Lynch at this point and target Martin later?
2: What say you? Uh, Let's just pass on both of these guys, okay? Um, I don't trust Gruden at all. You know, Lent these are, these are both older guys. You know, we don't know what the roles are going to be even if they are healthy. And I don't trust either one of them necessarily to stay healthy for the duration of the season anyway. So if, if you're looking for a couple running backs in rounds three through seven and, and you want to go almost like pseudo zero RB, that's kind of what I'm reading into this guy's preferred strategy. Why don't you look at guys maybe like Lamar Miller or C.J. Anderson toward the end of that that range, Jay Ajayi even. Those are some guys that we've actually seen, you know, reasonable production with. There's reason for optimism with their roles, and they don't play for, you know, a coach that seems to be totally out of touch with today's NFL.
1: I bet you John plays a mean Tetris though, right? Like he's or is that even like after his time? That's probably even after his time, isn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he, yeah, he's definitely like a pong, like original pong.
1: <laughs> he's definitely, he's definitely pong. Like he can beat the hell out of Donkey Kong too, right? Like if you put on an Atari or even a Coleco, right? Like a Coleco Vision, he will, jam- he will ball out on Coleco um but yeah I'm with you on Marshawn and Doug Doug Martin I'd I'd rather just go elsewhere like if you're looking for running back production in those mid rounds because you're going wide receiver wide receiver um yeah I mean Lamar Miller I'm all about right now um you know the the likes of Kenyon Drake JJ they're not sexy they're pretty ugly in fact but uh it's going to be production. They're going to have a definitive role, and they're going to get you points. I mean, when you go in wide receiver, wide receiver, you're just looking for some stability early on in running back, and and then you're going to you know hit some high upside guys thereafter. Uh, so for the fuck Mary kill here, Curtis, we have the ownership GM edition. Uh, of course, we've got Dave Gettleman over there in New York. We have uh, what we'll call Mark Davis Gruden McKenzie over in Oakland, which is now the Gruden Show. And, of course, of course uh, Chris Geer or Geyer. I think it's Geyer in, in Miami.
2: Ugh. I
1: mean, you have to. You just I think it's choose. Greer. Greer. I think
2: it's Greer, actually.
1: Greer, I didn't think yeah. there was an R in there, but we'll we'll take it because I mean his his performance to date has been forgettable anyhow. So we can forget the R and add it; it doesn't matter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, so I got to choose between uh, man. This is just this this is a good this is a good scenario here. But okay, let's let's take the easy one. I'm going to kill the Oakland group first because if if I'm going to stumble into some sort of weird orgy. It's not going to be with these guys. I'm not using my one time on on this nasty uh, uh, collection of of men. So, you know, Davis kind of strikes me as somebody that would want to be into role playing. I mean, he's got the crazy (laughs) hair that almost looks like a wig. We're not sure that's not a wig. Gruden, I think, would just be looking in a mirror the whole time, like giving himself air high fives. And, you know, a giant like Reggie McKenzie, A submissive giant. What good is he in an orgy? So I'm going to steer clear, just kill these guys, get them out of the way. (laughs) I'm going to hook up with Greer. I think he's into some weird stuff. I mean, he drafted Laramie Tunsil even after the bong mass fiasco. We know he appreciates a hard body. You know, he drafted Mike Kosicki this year really early. Plus, we'd be in Miami, so maybe we could just do some boat stuff. And I'm going to marry Gettleman. I mean, Gettleman... It's not. I mean, he's famous for not trading. There is no way this guy's cheating on me. I mean, he is not trading me So that—that's how I'm going
1: to go. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, going back on the whole Oakland thing, I think I feel like Mark Davis is is looking at himself in the mirror and seeing John Gruden, and John Gruden is looking at himself in the mirror and seeing Mark Davis. It just got <laughs> weird really quick. Uh... Yeah, and at the end of the day, you got to go home to Dave Gettleman. Oh, gosh, I am just such a sadist. We'll move on from there. Redraft, should I be worried about Alex Collins with Kenneth Dixon potentially in the fold? Our Keeper League has a rule that the lowest round a player can be kept at is 7th, regardless of whether or not he was drafted later, um, later than that or picked up off the wire. He's going in the 3rd or 4th rounds, I believe, so I assume he's still a great value in the 7th.
2: Yeah, he is a great value in the seventh. I mean, we're not we're not sure that Collins is going to reprise his role, but we're also not sure that his role doesn't even grow. I mean, you know, Collins was he was very quietly effective last year. He he did a really good job of creating his own yards despite an you know, offense that didn't really have anything else going for it. He was among you know, among the league leaders in fifteen yard rushes. I think he was second in that category. Um, you know, on the Kenneth Dixon thing, I did like him as a prospect and I still think, you know, maybe he could be an effective change of pace back and 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 steal some of the receiving game touches. We didn't see a lot from Alex Collins there, but you know, he gave us two hundred plus carries last year and scored a couple touchdowns and and I do think in general the Ravens offense is gonna be slightly improved. So maybe there's some more scoring chances in twenty eighteen versus twenty seventeen. So, you know, I think Collins is a great value in the seventh. I'm not I'm not nervous to keep him there at all.
1: wrote of his fam Jeremy Hart wrote of his radio let me tell you about our friends over at the fantasy football players championship the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The fantasy draft season is heating up and the FFPC has a format to suit interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slower live draft today. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at just $77 and going up to $2,500. Here is Something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. New dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Do not miss the FFPC experience, folks. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. All right, moving on from there, best ball. It seems like the consensus is most seem to like their teams better with a high-tier spend at tight end and rounding out uh, with value-wide receivers. I haven't started drafting yet, but I'm about to, and I'm wondering why more aren't taking the opposite approach. Granted, there's risk baked in, but wouldn't it be better to just take three high-upside guys like Jordan Reed Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald for a fraction of the cost. So one could argue that there's a lot of upside with Eric Ebron. Yeah, I like where his head's at. I mean, I think Eric Ebron is a pretty sneaky pick here myself. Over there in Indy, who the hell knows, right? But uh, never, nevertheless, what what do you got on this one here?
2: So I'm, this this is a actually this is one of the big debates in in baseball that people have all season, and and both answers are kind of right. Like it, it's okay to. To draft a tight end early, what I personally do, if I draft a tight end early, I usually end up drafting two tight ends early, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, then I usually don't draft a third tight end. Um, I've also kind of played defense from some of the the you know highest scoring weeks of the year by keeping you know another top tier tight end away from my competition, uh, and then I can you know like I think this uh, this listener said, you know you can round out with another receiver or a dart throw at another position. Maybe you need a third quarterback or. An, An extra defense in in this league, you know, with that extra pick, it's still fine to do the, you know, draft three tight ends. The only thing with the specific group that he mentioned, man, all three of those guys are so high variance, and I could really see some weeks, you know, specifically if you had a trio of Reed, Ebron, and Vance McDonald, you could have some weeks where you don't score very many points at all, Um, especially if Reed has trouble staying on the field. So. I like each of those guys. I like each of those guys as part of a three tight end committee, so I think you're on the right track. But you also got to be careful not to have any guys that don't have some sort of floor at tight end. There's so few guys that have you know, a, a, a true role carved out of that position. It really helps to have a, a stabilizing force. So I would almost argue that if you wanted a trio of Reed and McDonald, maybe you take the other Colts tight end as, as your glue in the middle and, and you go with like Reed, Doyle, and McDonald. Because then I know I'm getting something every week, and then I get the boom weeks from the other two guys.
1: Absolute sage advice right there. Balancing your risk throughout your roster and your positional groups as well. Uh, Curtis, what's your favorite and least favorite smell? I, I can tell you what this is. You might think I'm weird, all right, but like my favorite smell is gasoline. Maybe I think other people share that as well. I don't know what it is that probably makes me just a weird dude, but so I'll, I'll, let you answer, but yeah, gasoline is definitely a favorite. Least favorite is anything fishy and vinegar. My wife, Curtis, she likes to put vinegar in the Ooh, sink yeah. to clean it, and I just want to throw up all over the place.
2: Those are both good choices, and you know, it's really weird. Uh, you can get, down like some some crazy reading on on scents but you know even on good scents like humans are actually attracted to some bad scents and it can actually inspire erotic responses in some in some ways so you'd be surprised <laughs> at the types of things that they put in in colognes and perfumes but uh let's stay focused on the actual answer here so <laughs> probably my favorite scents are like anything vanilla based or like sandalwood I, oh. I love like i'm i'm you know, definitely somebody that wants a candle burning at night. Like, my wife and I always have, you know, that kind of going. I also like like tobacco flour. I don't know if you know what that smells like. It's really good. Uh, really, anything that's tasteful in colognes or perfumes. Humans have really strong scent memories. It's actually, like, our strongest um, scent that we have recall for. So, just make sure you're always smelling good because people are going to associate that with you. And the worst smell ever, vinegar is a good choice. But have you ever really like seriously smelled spoiled milk. It's so bad. It's so bad. Like nothing comes close to spoiled milk.
1: <laughs> You're right. So we, my family makes fun of me because somehow like we always, whether it's upstairs or downstairs, we always in this house somehow, some way tend to have like an old piece of, anything in our fridge, and one time it, it was milk, I don't know what, but like there's always a science project in our fridge, whether it's a basement fridge or something, you know, it might end up like green, and you know, like this, these are the types of things that happen in everyday households that, you know, where the parents are outnumbered by the kids, you just can't get around to everything and you miss it, um, but on the vanilla, I'm with you 100%, I had an old girlfriend that used to wear, I think it was called vanilla. Vanilla sunflower or something like that. Vanilla—I don't remember, but whatever it was, it was vanilla. Whoo, yeah, this is yeah, man. Remember. And
2: I just said vanilla, and now you're remembering that old flame. I'm telling you, man, make sure you smell good. Make sure were the
1: days. All right, there's my Archie Bunker for the show. Moving on from the <laughs> best ball. I'm hearing a lot about Tyler Lockett in his range, but nothing about D.D. Westbrook or Paul Richardson. While Lockett is the number two in his offense, so are the other two, and Westbrook is potentially the number one. Are you just taking Lockett in that range most of the time or getting exposure to the other guys as well? And uh, I know it's not on the show sheet here, but you know the aforementioned Tyrell Williams, I'd, I'd add him to this list as well
2: so first I want to say you know I'm not sure that it's fair to say that Lockett's definitely the number two there I mean the team did go out and sign Brandon Marshall they still have Amara Darbo who they took uh, relatively early last season I don't actually have any shares of Lockett yet and I've got 20 plus best ball drafts done Um, D.D. Westbrook is definitely not a lock for volume at all uh, the Jags brought in, you know, additional help at tight end. They paid Dante Moncrief really big money. They resigned Marquise Lee, and they drafted DJ Chark in the second round. So, I mean, I, I think that's actually a pretty huge indictment on what the team thinks of Westbrook and Keelan Cole, in my humble opinion. So I, I'm kind of avoiding D.D. Westbrook there as well. So I think Paul Richardson probably has the highest floor out of this group when I when I look across it, and, you know, he, I think he will have some some weekly upside um, he's probably my preference here of the three that have been mentioned. It'd be Richardson, then Lockett, then Westbrook. If you're gonna throw Tyrell Williams in there, he'd be kind of right there, level with uh, Lockett for me, also in front of Westbrook.
1: Yeah, very nicely done. Uh, I can't argue with anything you said there, and I definitely like Paul R- Richardson the most of that group. You know, you, we get a lot of love in Seattle because it does seem like there's going to be a highly concentrated, uh, you know, flow where the where the passes have to go, so to speak, but. You know, it's just, oh gosh, Seattle that offense. I mean, the coaching comments about what they're going to do and running the game. And you know, I get that there's going to be some negative, you know, script. I'm just, you know, like I, I'll take Russell Wilson and Rashad Penny just because I know, bottom line, those guys have to be used. I'll take Doug Baldwin. I know he has to be used. But yeah, outside of there, you know, I just, I just rather focus on different offenses. In whole, as a whole, that I that I'd rather get behind, right? And, and and like Tyler Lockett, he's fair for the price, right? But yeah, give me Paul Richardson if they're both on the board. There,
2: I'm fully with you. If you're gonna get like tertiary, you know, contributors in an offense, look some look somewhere else uh, for a different passing game. We know who Russell loves, and no one else has really ever truly been propped up over the course of a whole season. So I, I think that was great advice.
1: Uh, next one is redraft. Are there any quarterbacks you're willing to take? Early last season, I found myself feeling fine taking Russell Wilson in the 7th, but with the emergence of more young guys, the high-floor vets are getting pushed into the teams. We tell you, we alluded to this a little bit, Curtis, earlier on, right? Like, geez, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, these guys are just free. I mean, what, 13th, 14th round now? So, I mean, is there anybody that you're willing to kind of go to bat for, early on, you know, I, I talked a little bit about Kirk Cousins. You know, I think Drew Brees is going to have some positive regression just in, in inherently, especially with Ingram getting suspended, right? But um, it, it's, man, it, it's hard-pressed to get me to take a quarterback early this year specifically.
2: Everyone listening understands that, you know, the relative merits of late round quarterback, and it's great, and, you know, all that's well-documented. But I mean, I still don't really mind being the first person in my league to draft a quarterback if the value is really there. I mean, I just, I guess it just really depends on who you're playing against. Uh, in in leagues where I'm playing primarily against other analysts, it really seems like everyone's competing to not take the quarterback (laughs) and no one is going to do it. So, I mean, you can, you know, you can find yourself staring at Cam Newton or Drew Brees like in the 10th round sometimes. And it's like, all right, guys, like, you you know, you win. I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger here.
1: Oh, and do they really win at that point? I mean, you make a great point, right? Like, in some of these drafts, like... Yeah, that's... Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was that was definitely sarcasm-laden. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I have no problem being, being first if you're going to give me those guys. And I don't think that's necessarily happening quite as much in, or will it happen quite as much in more casual public leagues, especially when you get into July and August. A lot of people are very concerned with kind of filling out their starting lineups when they're drafting for a redraft. That's... That's kind of what we see the casual player do. So you have to kind of, con, I guess, consider your competition. If you're playing in a league like that, definitely just wait and and soak up the value early while they're drafting Aaron Rodgers in like the second or third round, as we see happen every year. But if you're playing in a pretty competitive league, I really don't mind being one of the guys to to draft, you know, a top three to five quarterback if the value's there. And and I like your suggestion for Breeze. You know, specifically, I think he's going to get pushed down boards because of the age and because For Drew Brees, anyway, he didn't have quite such an amazing season last year, and and I think he's going to probably throw four or five more touchdowns this season, so we'll see how that goes.
1: All right, you're locked naked in a room for a week, Curtis. Would you rather it be completely dark or extremely bright? And I only say you're naked because not that I want to see him naked, but because you don't have the ability to put clothes over your eyes.
2: Close over my eyes, man. This is this is a wild scenario, but I, <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna be in the dark for a week, man. And I'm I'm taking bright. I didn't really have to think long about this one. I don't really have anything to be ashamed of. I mean, I guess it depends on how many people are like watching you. Like, where is this room? Like, is it a glass room? Is it in the <laughs> middle of the city? Is it just like some sort of panic room that it's just like me and my thoughts and my screams? Like, <laughs> you know, I don't really know what's really going on, but. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be in the bright and in you know, in in some ways that that might be a really liberating week to not wear clothes.
1: I I feel like you act you were a hundred percent an analyst right because I really was only thinking about whether or not you you know are okay with it being completely dark or completely like really bright for a week. But then you asked some really good questions there about whether or not you're you're in public or not in public or who specifically is watching you. I think like that's i mean you got a little bit of larry david in you i i mean there there was some of it there i must say <laughs> like it makes all the world a difference whether or not yeah i i'm maybe a little i think who would that be i i think that's a jerry seinfeld moment if you're looking at larry david personalities like that's yeah that's jerry seinfeld right there so i think we got some seinfeld out of you if for nothing else
2: i'll take it
1: all right here we go a quick lightning round better season, matthew stafford marcus mariota Stafford. Kenyon Drake, Ronald
2: Jones. Kenyon Drake.
1: Alshon Jeffrey, Josh Gordon.
2: Josh Gordon, man. Don't tell me you haven't seen those shirtless pics. No way (laughs) is Jeffrey outscoring (laughs) him.
1: Fair enough. George Kittle or Delaney Walker?
2: Man, Kittle, like, it's really timely that this pod is today because Kittle's been getting, like, a lot of really positive press about the end of his season and what he did with Jimmy G. I'm still taking Delaney Walker. Man, he's been automatic for many, many years, and it's still a little bit of a leap for me to take to think that Kittle is going to go from being basically like a back end tight end to being a top five guy, like I think Walker will be this year.
1: Very good. All right, just uh, for shits and giggles, I'm on Stafford, Drake, Gordon, and Walker. Those are the ones you mentioned, aren't they? Yes, sir. All right, there we go. Boom. Dynasty, Jay Ajayi or Martavis Bryant and Traquan Smith.
2: I'm going to take Ajayi's possible upside. Like, I don't love Ajayi. Like, I I mean, I fully recognize that this running back by the committee could be a little bit of a nightmare, especially with a new OC. Um, But I do think there's still a range of possible outcomes where Ajayi has, like, 250 touches this year and outperforms ADP. Bryant... He's just going to be a low-volume splash guy where he landed in Oakland. I don't think his situation improved at all from what he gave us in Pittsburgh over the last few seasons. And Traquan, I think he's not a volume guy either. So I just want the guy that is going to be getting the touches
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those nothing sexy about either side of this one, right? And, uh, this one I'm, I'm being greedy on because I actually have this trade outstanding. The other analyst is thinking and mulling it over actually in the RDL, uh, the, the Rotoviz dynasty league here. And I'm actually the Ajayi owner, but it's one of those situations, Curtis, where I have an overage at running back and I have an underage at wide receiver and, You know, I just need to get more depth at wide receiver, and I'm willing to overpay a little bit to make it happen just because I just, quite frankly, have to get through those ugly bye week type of weeks. And uh, it's just one of those things that sometimes you look at a trade in a vacuum and you think, well, yeah, I'll take this side, but it's all relative to what you need to do in your league to be able to kind of put the right type of team together. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a fair trade. I, I probably could have qualified it with that. I mean, I, I think the Ajayi side is still probably a little bit more valuable. Mm-hmm. But if it suits your roster and you're getting two players at a position where maybe you need a future there, and you know, when we talk in range outcomes, Jordy Nelson could get hurt in week one, and then all of a sudden Brian's in a nice, you know, nice role opposite of Amari. So I can see why that side would be attractive to you uh, when we're looking at the positives and negatives of, of each side of this deal. So certainly a reasonable offer.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you're, you're hands down right. There's more value on the Ajayi side, so I'm just waiting for the accept button out there, fella. Uh, moving on. Take a favorite or popular movie, change one letter in the title, what is the new plot?
2: All right. Jurassic Mark. It's a coming-of-age story about a teenage boy who struggles to fit in because of his T-Rex-shaped birthmark. <laughs>
1: Get the fuck out of here. That is great. That is great. Now, as soon as you said Jurassic Mark, I was thinking, wait a minute. So, like, is he going with, you know, there's a Jurassic sniper target, and he's the new, kind of like the, the the series shooter on TV, right? And there's this just colossal mark, and he needs to be hidden. He's on the run for the rest of the movie. But, no, it is a literal birthmark. And I just so happened, Curtis, Kurt, to have a Jurassic birthmark on the back right side of my back. And my kids have asked me what it is, and I tell them I got in a motorcycle accident. They don't believe me.
2: Well, that's definitely way cooler than a, a genetic malformity, so I would go with that, too.
1: Gen- <laughs> it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it It is 100%.
2: For real, though, man. Coming-of-age stories is always really do well, you know, with the Academy, and then there's just that little humorous twist, and, I mean, I probably could have developed the plot even longer if I didn't want to steal the show, but, I mean, like, what if the birthmark that's shaped like a T-Rex actually, like, could move, or, like, what if it, it, like, came to life when no one else was in the room and he had, you know, conversations with it? Then it could become almost like a Ted movie.
1: Yeah. See, you kind of alluded to it, right? Is it, is, who is... Said owner of the birthmark—is it like a Napoleon Dynamite character, an Owen Wilson, or is it like a, a Vince Vaughn? Like, I think the character makes all the difference in the world.
2: In my mind, it's Michael Sarah and it's one of those we, it's Michael we, Sarah coming of coming of age, and like the same the same role that he always plays.
1: All right, moving on from there, Curtis. Dynasty, I seem to be higher on Jordan Matthews than most. Is he not going to be a volume wide receiver in New England? So the downside, well, we'll keep the question in here, Curtis, but uh, this question clearly came on the show sheet prior to the Julian Edelman PED news. So I guess now that Julian Edelman is out of the picture, you know how are were you originally bought in on Jordan Matthews? And if so or if not, how much more are you or not for that matter?
2: I was originally not in on Matthews, and I'm still not in on Matthews. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think this, is, this suspension or pending suspension certainly is going to help Matthews' ADP, and I think that people are going to spend a little bit more time talking about is he going to make the roster, and if he does, what that role is really going to look like. I mean, he he probably does fit into the to the role that Edelman was going to play. I mean, Hogan was a totally different—I think people want to lump— Hogan in with like what Edelman was doing, but they're totally different receivers, totally different receivers. So, um, that being said, I think Hogan's still the receiver that I want to own there, even in that, you know, maybe lesser volume role, but more dynamic role, more of a playmaking role. When he was on the field, he was, you know, super productive last season. And, um, for whatever reason, I mean, Matthews just hasn't done much, um, since being super reliable, you know, in his rookie season and was okay, I guess in his second year. So, I you know I like that he ended up in New England, but I don't know that ship's kind of sailed for me, and, and maybe to my own, um, maybe to my own regret. I mean I, I'm not going to have any shares of him. It's probably just something I'm willing to miss.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to have him. I'm bought in. I'm going forward with Jordan Matthews, but I can't lie. Okay, I do think that this is one of those situations where sometimes there is something cerebral that happens. That you just can't quantify, and we'd be just lying if there weren't unquantifiable things that do happen, because this is planet Earth, right? And it does happen, and I think Jordan Matthews might be one of those, you know? Like, they say the game of golf, there's just a lot of cerebral things that you just can't pinpoint, and I think whatever... Might have happened in the past with Jordan Matthews is cerebral. I don't know. I've got nothing to go on on that. Look, all I know is the facts that I see Jordan Matthews in a good opportunity. One of the potential lead target hogs just went down for at least a short amount of time. And is he, was he healthy? How much of the PEVs are attributed to his comeback, right? So at this point, I've got no choice but to push my chips further in on Jordan Matthews. But I can't say I'm not just a little bit nervous. I was fine to date, but now, you know, it, his price is just going to go through the roof at this point. So, you know, I I guess I'm like buy him now before later. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, that that's fine. And, and I think in best ball, like if you were somebody that was on him, you just count your blessings that you have these early shares and you kind of just stop drafting them and, yeah. and you let, you know, you kind of let it. Let it ride with the with the house money that you had when you were getting him in, in, like, the 19th, 20th round. He's probably going to be, I don't know. I, I'm sure the hype will get out of control. Like, he's probably going to jump at least, like, five rounds, I bet, in the next month.
1: Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think you're right there. All right, uh, your worst fast food or restaurant horror story.
2: <sighs> this is actually from earlier this spring, and so we say, yes. should I say the name of the restaurant? Okay. Um, yeah, so it, I don't think they're Chipotle, listening. And I, I generally, love, yeah, I, I generally like Chipotle. So I'm not like I'm not ragging on them, I and they actually handled this situation pretty well. But my wife is, you know, just going to town on this, you know, delicious burrito, <laughs> dead spider right in the middle of the burrito. Oh. And it, I mean, it really sucked. Like neither one of us could obviously finish the food. It ruined Chipotle for us for a couple months. And then kind of just thinking about it, like. We ended up talking about, you know, what it's, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think everyone has heard that stat that supposedly, like, every human eats, like, eight spiders per year. And I don't think that that's true, but maybe this was just her one of her spiders. And, unfortunately, she was aware of this one. So we, I, we're past it, and we go back to Chipotle now.
1: <laughs> so it it is a true stat. However, I heard it as four. I think we're going to need a fact checker on this one. Um, but yeah, basically you eat those spiders in your sleep because you, you sleep with your mouth open and they just kind of crawl in there and you wake up with the, with like a a raspy sore throat in the morning. I joke with my kids all the time. You got a sore throat. How'd that spider taste last night? Right. And of course, uh, but, but on the Chipotle thing too, like, and it sucks, right? Like nobody wants to deal with that. I remember I was eating at a Friday's one time and Uh, I I had a very similar situation on my burger, right? Like burger is almost more inexcusable because it's not like wrapped in a burrito where there's clearly like a bunch of steak or chicken in a bin and a spider probably crawled in there, couldn't get out, suffocated, died or something like that. Like a burger, somebody physically hand constructed in like, how do you miss that? Like, and I'm not a dick, right? So like, there's no way I upset... The wait staff like on the movie Waiting or something like that, right? But so e- spiders, you know, like it's a restaurant industry. Like there is a reason why the health inspection per code does give you a margin of error because like you just can't keep all of this stuff completely 100% kosher. And that's the sad part that you just don't want to think about. Like you're going to eat spiders and it sucks. Gross.
2: We just have to accept it, man. We just, it's just a reality. And, and you know, I, I think Chipotle lost a little bit of its innocence for us that fateful <laughs> night. But we're okay now.
1: Was she able to describe what the taste of the spider was like, by chance? Like, was Man, it-
2: I don't think that she actually tasted it. It's just kind of one of those things that, that you see and then you just, like, stare at it in horror. I think, we think it was actually in the lettuce. And Chipotle's had, like, a lot of documented issues with the lettuce, but... They took the rest of the spider and, like, put it in a thing and sent it away for testing and gave us, like, a bunch of uh, gift cards and stuff. I mean, the manager was, like, super embarrassed and apologetic. So they handled it. So They handled it well.
1: Were you eating in the restaurant when it happened or was it a to-go?
2: Yeah. No, we were we were eating there, like, on the porch. So I kind of just quietly went up to the cashier and, like, hey, you see this? Like, because, I mean, there's a bunch of other people in line and I want them to, like, all leave. But maybe I should have done that. Like maybe there was other spiders that had not been accounted for. Uh, But that wasn't really my problem. I just wanted my wife to not have a spider burrito. So I just kind of handled our thing and let everyone else fend for themselves.
1: You you realize you and your wife are, are just flat out better people than most people? Like 100%. Anybody else gets that spider... It's on, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's on Twitter, it's, it's hashtagged, it's a scream, it's loud in the restaurant. Like, just huge scene, everybody's fleeing out of the restaurant, and you guys take the higher road, and you, wow, I'm, I'm, I must say, nicely done, sir. I mean, I feel like I should get you guys Chipotle gift cards. I'm a little nervous, though, because I eat at Chipotle, like, twice a week now. Just great.
2: Yeah, I think your your spider ratio, your, I mean, your spider metrics per year, probably closer to like six than four <laughs> if you're eating there.
1: Uh, I just hope it's not a poisonous one. All right, your, your too early sizzling spider hot take for the 2018-19 season.
2: Devontae Adams outscores Odell Beckham Jr. in PPR.
1: Boom. There it is. That is sizzling hot. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotovis podcast where we're dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. Again, if you have any questions you want answered on the mailbag, hit us up via email, rotovisradio at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Rotovis Radio using the hashtag mailbag. Curtis, man, many thanks for coming back on the show. Any last-minute plugs?
2: Nah, man, we hit them at the top of the show. Let's let the people get the rest of their time back.
1: Good stuff. Uh, Make sure everyone to check out the Dynasty Command Center, the Best Ball Command Center. Go check out those tools, resources. Hit up the premium Slack chat. Those are tools and resources there for your championships. I'm Jeremy Hart at Fantasy Gumshoe. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Road of his Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, or Road of his Radio feed. Contact us via email, radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Road of his Radio and at FantasyGumShoe. Tell your friends about us, and do not forget to sign up for a 30% discount through our podcast homepage on his.com It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Whatever you're doing, if it starts at 2:30, tell me it starts at 1:30. It's the only way I'm getting there at 2:30. Oh
2: man, it was in the
1: okay. it was in the original question. the The issue lies between my keyboard and my chair. Like my work productivity is still there, but the accuracy of my productivity about midnight, it just kind of goes down the toilet. Apparently, yeah, sometimes I'll write something, I'll look at it like the next day, like what the fuck was I doing? I was actually sending client notes out late at night, and then I realized, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to draft all this, and then I'm going to look at them and read them one more time in the morning. So not only am I looking at it like a weirdo sending my clients emails in the middle of the night, but at least in the morning, then I look like a normal functioning human being sending emails in the morning. And they also don't have a gazillion typos or just, you know, something spell check isn't picking up.
2: My boss is like, why did you email me at 2 in the morning? I'm like, well, we have kids, but it makes you, they can't make you look crazy.
1: Yeah, well, and not only that, though, the, the worst thing I realized about sending nighttime emails to clients isn't the errors or anything outbound. It's the fact that now your client knows, or I should say thinks that you're available around the clock.
2: Can you hear me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> woo, woo, yeah.
0: Your home is important. That's why Geico helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.